From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 23. Today's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by our friends over at lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com slash upgrade. MailRoute, a secure hosted email service for protection from viruses and spam. And stamps.com, postage on demand. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined, as always, by your host of mine, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Very well, sir. Where are you? Are you in a submarine? Are you on a plane? I am speaking to you from a uh, from a uh, dis- undisclosed location in the greater Los Angeles area. I'm down here with uh, at my in-laws with my uh, with with my family, and we're driving back home tomorrow. So, but today is a, even though today is a holiday in the United States, Mike. It's uh it's President's Day. Ah. But uh, I'm here because it's Upgrade, and Upgrade waits for no one. Happy president to you. <laughs> Thank you. Pick your favorite. What, who's, who's your favorite president? Uh, I mean, I think the only one that I have any opinion about is the current president. Interesting. Like, Do you know of other presidents? Yeah, yeah, I know of them. But like, of the presidents that I remember, like really in my lifetime, I have... And like I'm properly, truly aware of, I have the choice of George Bush and Barack Obama. So, right, you know, the, like, the safe the safe answer is Abraham Lincoln. Just say Abraham Lincoln, and we'll be good. Well, I, <laughs> my my reasoning, like for outside, um, kind of not being directly affected by American politics, I would go with uh, Barack because he his. Like his term into office, like he coming into office, was like historical, right? Uh, first, like non-white president, um, and then Indeed. also he—I don't know. There's something about him that, like, from a again a non-political thing, is kind of cool. He does some cool things. So, like, to a to a um, to a Brit, like someone who's not affected by him as much, it's fun to watch him do cool things. But there you go. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. We would have also accepted any of the other presidents, but at least you identified a precedent. <laughs> That's good. I don't know who my favorite prime minister. Well, we're, we'll go with Churchill. How about that? Perfect. I like the way you said it as well. Okay, Churchill. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. They just seemed to seem like more of like Churchill, so like a, instead of like the way that I would say, it, ah. which is Churchill, which is not, doesn't sound diff, doesn't sound any different to most people but i've been to his birthplace me. but we blenheim palace but we're we're way off topic now <laughs> <laughs> we, we were never on topic so uh follow up yes please follow up or as we could also call it topics that we recently covered and are now covering again <laughs> and in fact i've got two uh two uh notes from listeners about the nature of follow-up uh, um, listener Mark said, I like follow-up at the beginning. It's like previously on Upgrade or when we last left Mike and Jason. So that's good feedback about how we could sell follow-up as something more exciting for the people who don't like follow-up. And listener Nick said, follow-up tangent topics used to bug me, but then I decided topics are topics. Who cares when they happen? Very uh, nice, uh, nice approach there. Topics are going to happen. Who knows when? Who knows where? They just happen. Topics going to topic. Topic's going to topic. So topic number one of the follow-up of recent <laughs> topics that are previously on when we last left Mike and Jason, whatever. Last time we saw Mike and Jason. I have three pieces of follow-up from uh, listeners that I'm going to refer to as Coverflowians. 
<laughs> they are the, from the church of the cover flow. We last week mentioned uh, that cover flow is still in the finder. And um, we both expressed, even though I use list view and you use column view, the next step style column view that you use, which is also somewhat crazy um, because everybody knows the way that you use the finder, that one uses the finder is the right way and all other ra- ways that other people use it are crazy. Anyway, both of us agreed that uh, although we disagree about how we use the finder, the people who use cover flow, those people are crazy people. And so we said, anybody who uses CoverFlow, write in. And we got some some uh, notes from CoverFlowians. Listener Nate is a CoverFlowian. Uh, he says, I use CoverFlow in the Finder almost every day. I'm an eighth grade math teacher and have thousands of worksheets and documents that I've created over the years. The easiest way I have found of sorting through them quickly is searching by keyword and then using CoverFlow to preview the contents. If there's better a better way, I would love to know about it. And I think he makes a good point here that he's actually looking at those thumbnails and flipping through them, trying to find the one that looks right. And uh, I don't, I mean, I guess you could put, you could do that in a list view with a really big icon and scroll through that, which would probably serve the same purpose and might work just as well. It might not. Uh, but he's been using CoverFlow all this time since before the list view was that flexible. Um, and uh or icon view it was that flexible so uh more power to you listener nate cgp uh, was- gray told me he actually uses the same and i was shocked i was <laughs> shocked when he told he's a cover flowian yeah he was very angry at me um but yeah so it's like the same sort of idea like when he says when he's working on a project he's using lots of different media types so if he knows he's looking for like an image it's an easy way to just scroll down and wait to see the icon size change even and so this was one of those things like and i said i know we asked for feedback but you know you, you know you do those things where it's like you know you have a you have an idea or like you have a, a thought that we make just like a throwaway comment and then you just yeah. get inundated mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one of those things and it's i love a, it when that happens it's amazing uh and we you know here here at upgrade we ask you to send in your uh, send in your feedback we do. It's not like ATP where all they tell is tell you to do is not email them. <laughs> oh, here we go. That's that's an ATP joke. That's not. I'm not being serious there. Listener H also said whenever I use CoverFlow in the Finder, it's to look at photos. I don't use Icon View for this because the icons don't get as large as I would like. That's amazing because they get really large. Also, I can't see file info while I browse. This is a great point. Whereas in CoverFlow, there's a list view below the previews that shows me lots of metadata. I don't use Quick Look because it only shows one image at a time, and I like to peek ahead in CoverFlow to browse faster. So that's a good one. Perfectly valid. And listener Dale said, I work with lots of scanned PDFs that have similar layout and content. CoverFlow is a quick, convenient way to view and rename them for filing purposes. The icon view, even with the size slider turned all the way up, is simply not big enough to see the detail in the PDFs on my 15-inch MacBook Pro. I don't know if there's a better way to do this than with CoverFlow. So I'm not sure. I mean, this seems to be, the common ground here seems to be that CoverFlow lets you see these icons at huge sizes, even bigger than you can in an icon view in the in the finder and so they stick with CoverFlow. although some of this also seems to be well CoverFlow works for me so i'm not going to change it it may be that so there's some other view option in the finder now that could solve this but they've got something that works for them so um if apple removes CoverFlow at some point in the future we will find out if there is a, a solution that's better for them than CoverFlow. but that's the answer three listeners thank you for writing in and explaining that you use CoverFlow. I think CoverFlow is kind of weird, but hey, if it works for you, please don't. <laughs> don't write, don't email us. See, there we are. We get it. 
we're just as bad as as uh, ATP now. Um, the other bit of uh, of a topic that you've heard before and now you're hearing again that's totally not follow-up comes, uh, it, it's about podcasting, so that'll push some buttons for a few listeners. Listener Tim wrote in, we were talking last week about one of the problems with podcasting being um, discoverability and shareability and that there's no way to, you know, like with YouTube, you can link to a particular part of a clip and play it back and podcasting is kind of hard to... Uh, hard to explain and hard to introduce to people. And it's one of the problems with uh, growing the podcast audience. And listener Tim wrote in um, and he, he, he wrote us a few times. He kept thinking of more things to say, which was actually kind of great. It was a really well thought out email that he wrote. The, the first one was really long and he, he was like taking a little journey as he wrote it, I think. Um, but he, he pointed out that a bunch of other podcasters have talked about the same issue, that recommending podcasts to people um, is really hard. As he put it, the activation energy is tremendously high. Little uh, little science for you there. If you don't already know the person very well and can explain why you might think they'd enjoy a specific podcast episode, it's futile. Then again, maybe the other side of that coin is that podcast listeners are supposed to be loyal, good with feedback, and tend to be more valuable for advertisers. Uh, I would say, I mean, this is we talked about this a little bit. This is the up and down side, and I wrote about this on Six Colors. This is the up and down side of podcasting is the audiences are fantastic, but it is very hard to get people into the audience because you need to be committed enough to get like what a podcast is and start to listen and once you the activation energy is spent and you're in it's a lot easier tim actually wrote a blog post which we'll link to in the show notes where he describes among other things getting trying to get his sister to listen to a podcast and it is sobering in the sense that um you know it, it just shows how hard it is to get people to get podcasts and uh it needs to be better and the question is who's going to make it better and i'm not sure there's a great answer there um uh, although it, it tim's email actually filled me with excitement because i felt like there's a great opportunity here for somebody to um try to make the podcasting thing uh, more accessible for people I don't know who's going to do it. I don't know. I, I kind of don't think that even though he's got a lot of really great ideas, a one-man band like Marco Arment is going to be able to do it. He's on one platform with one app. I feel like um, the place with the most leverage here to make a difference is probably Apple. And although Apple is making some interesting moves you know, with some of the, the changes they made to the podcast app and that they put it on every iPhone now, I feel like they could do more, and and that that if Apple innovated here a little bit more, uh, if cr- Apple created some better tools for podcasters, including things like building MP3 chapter marks or things like that, and supported it in their apps, they could start to push some discoverability. If they built a sharing system that you know threw up an iTunes page with a podcast episode embedded in it that jumped to the right area or whatever, Apple could probably start the ball rolling. And Apple's not going to be the be all end all because there's going to be Google, you know, Android users and their Windows users and all of that. But Apple could probably make a dent that might be enough they're a big enough player because they've got the itunes podcast directory they could potentially make a difference i don't know if apple cares enough uh, I, i'm sure there are people at apple who do but I, that was just it's a thought i've had for a while now which is i think maybe the highest leverage place to make change to make podcasts more accessible involves somebody at apple now my question is is there somebody at apple who's really concerned about podcasts or is there like somebody at Apple who runs the podcast app, somebody at Apple who does iTunes and it's got encoding and stuff in it, but they don't really care about it. Somebody at Apple who is in charge of the podcast section of the iTunes store. Is there a bigger 
picture view of podcasting at Apple? Is there somebody who's a champion for podcasting at Apple? Prob- my guess is not. If if there is, that that's awesome because I think that person has a lot of potential to make change here. Um, that would be. I, I think I wish pa- Apple did have that. That would be a great job. In fact, I would say, I was saying this to David Sparks this morning when we had breakfast. He, he said, would you ever consider working at Apple? And I said, you know, the only job at Apple that I think I would be I would be suited for and that I would love would be the podcast evangelist czar kind of person because I do think Apple has a chance to change the medium there. But I just don't think it's, and I don't think it's necessarily a focus they should have, but I think they could make a lot of change if they wanted to push in that area. I do know that there are people that work on podcasts at Apple, right? The the people that work on the iTunes team, there there are staff and they are huge fans of the medium. Oh, absolutely. Um, but what I don't know, and I think is what, what you're saying, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, is I don't know how much these people have uh, to be able to swing any real product direction well think of think of it this way and, and actually i'm not sure how this dovetails with like how ibooks works and with the people who build ibooks author but that's sort of what i'm thinking is is there somebody are those people who live and breathe podcasts and promoting them in the itunes store are those people do they have any power to do anything involving let's say creating a tool for podcasters that makes uh some of these other things possible a piece of software or a web app, uh, drive direction of the podcast app that's for iOS, Do the, uh, evangelize podcasting features in GarageBand, which if there's somebody whose job is, it's been to do that, I feel very sorry for them because nobody's listening. Um, that's my question. Is, is podcasting something that's just scattered into a bunch of different things? Because Apple collectively has power to change, that, change the medium, I think. I, or at least, like I said, the most leverage of any one, one organization right now. To, to do that. Um, I think if they pushed in certain directions, it would, the whole podcasting world would push that way just to, you know, to pick up on the momentum. But I'm not sure Apple, you know, has a center like that. And if they do, that's great. But um, I'm not sure they do. I, I, I sort of feel like they view iTunes as a, you know, podcast as a section of iTunes. And then there's a podcast app. And maybe those people talk to each other or maybe they don't. And then, you know, and then there are no engineering resources for things like tools that would make the stuff that came into the podcast uh, part of iTunes better or make the podcasting discovery experience better. That stuff doesn't seem to really be there other than just if you go to the podcast app and look in the directory, you'll see things. And that that's that's good, but I think that's that's not all that Apple could probably be doing. I don't know. So Upgradian Steve like at Steve Librarian. So yeah. I will say Steve. That's Steve. Uh, on on He Twitter. is a librarian. Yep. <laughs> he said to us uh, using the hashtag AskUpgrade that we said that last week you said you didn't want a YouTube podcast, but this week mentioned a good use case, shareability. And that's kind of what Jason is talking about a bit as well. It's yeah. like having somebody who's better at it. Now, I totally understand the what we said like what it sounds like we're saying, which is like we will we want kind of a bit of both. But I personally uh wouldn't want there to be a company like a Stitcher or something that well, does this. Yes. Uh, I agree. I, I agree. Uh, the only company that I, at the moment, would trust to do something is Apple, like we've been saying, just simply because in the past they have been very respectful of a lot of things that podcasters want to do, like host their own files. Like Apple do not touch anything. Exactly. Um, so that's why they're the only company that right now 
not only are they probably the only one that could do it today and, and have a real swing in anything that they wanted to do in the podcasting space because they actually really did help pioneer the medium. I know there were people first, but they really actually did put mm-hmm. it on the map. Without without Apple, pro- podcasting never would have taken off in the first place, I would say. Um, but also, they you know they are they've been pretty good about it all uh, so far. So I think that they're the only ones that I would personally trust. Yeah, and what we what we don't want is a monolith that controls the only way that you can get listeners and the only way you can make money is by going through X. We don't want that, and Apple hasn't done that. And I'm not advocating for. I don't want Apple to invent a whole bunch of new things that only work on iPhones, and that you know that uh, you gotta be you've gotta go through Apple to do approval for everything and all of that. I, that's I'm not advocating that, but I do think that they have some leverage to uh, to push some of this stuff forward and maybe. Uh, solve some of these problems if they wanted to solve them. And I do think it would improve. What do they get out of it? I do think they would improve people's attachment to their iPhones and to their cars with CarPlay potentially um, if they do a good job of this, that this is going to be another way that people love their iPhones. Because I know the people who listen to lots of podcast apps now, podcasts now on iPhone podcast apps, they love that experience. And your iPhone becomes that much more valuable to you because you are listening to all of these podcasts. So I think that there's a lot of strength there for, uh, for, for Apple if they wanted to go there, but I'm not sure that, that there's anything that organized. I think it's just kind of all up. I also threw in, threw in here from listener Tom, just because it's just going to get your goat again, Mike is, uh, you know, you could also, uh, use a chapter marker, um, to solve problems like uh, follow up, so uh, you could, you could, I, and this is one of those cases where what I would say is the current state of chapter markers and podcast apps is so problematic that it is not something that is worth the time of of many podcasters and, and when they make those calculations. But if the tools improved and if support improved and it became something that had some momentum behind it, it might be something that could be done. And that would be nice. But right now, this is part of the difficulty is that, you know, there's no, there's no chicken. There's no egg. (laughs) There's just some straw. And everybody's saying, where's the chicken? Uh, Anyway, that is, that is follow up. Boom. Done with follow up. Well, no, it wasn't follow up. It was. Oh, sorry. Previously on topics we discussed previously and are now discussing again briefly with reader feedback interlaced. Yes, that part is done. Excellent. This week's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by our friends over at lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com. You can invest in yourself right now and give this year a real kick in the pants by signing up for an account at lynda.com with a free... Are those English English pants or American pants? Whatever ones you'd prefer. Wherever you want the kick? Wherever you want the kick, you can right. take it. And right. you can sign up right now with lynda.com and get yourself a free 10-day trial. Lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, business. If there's something that you want to learn, if there's something that you want to perfect, if there's something that you want to do, lynda.com can help you with that. They have fantastic courses on things like iOS app development. They have Swift Essential Training. I've, I've been hearing a lot. I've been seeing 
seeing a lot of people talking about Swift now, and this could be a really great time to jump in and start learning. And Lynda.com have really fantastic courses on this stuff. It's all produced really well. It's produced by experts. They have uh, the ability for you to watch these on your laptop, on your desktop, but maybe you want to watch them on the bus or whatever, you know, when you've got a bit of downtime. They have apps for iOS and Android that you can watch all of their courses on as well. They're adding new stuff all the time to lynda.com. They have a great series that I've seen before called Code Clinic, where each month lynda.com issues a code challenge and uh, authors and different people share their solutions using a wide variety of different programming languages. So this could be something, you know, you're trying to learn a new language like Swift or something else, maybe you want to learn Ruby on Rails, but you know a different language and you want to see, oh, how do people solve it in these different in these different languages with different techniques and it can kind of help you adapt your thinking a little bit. It's a really interesting kind of exercise that you could get involved with as well. Go and sign up for a free 10-day trial to lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash upgrade. If for some reason you have yet to try this out, give us a hand at the show. You know, if you enjoy upgrade, I think this is something that you would enjoy too. Just go and try them out. It's a 10-day free trial. And then, and then, you know, you're going to learn something awesome as well. I challenge you to learn some new things. Go and sign up for lynda.com. Thank you so much to Linda for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. New things. New things. Hooray. Talking about new things. Yeah, moving into topics, I had a couple quick links I wanted to do, not spend too much time on them, but um, one of them is David Sparks, who I mentioned earlier. I had breakfast with him today because I'm down here where he lives in uh, Orange County. And uh, on Friday was his last day at his law firm. (laughs) He started his, or Thursday maybe, and Friday he posted his new website where he's got his new law firm. And uh, and then he, he wanted to devote more time to doing the stuff that we do too, right? He wants to devote more time to writing about uh, tech topics and doing his Max Sparky Field Guides books and videos and uh, his podcasting. And his, his law firm, he was at his law firm for even longer than I was at Macworld. And it was a big move for him. And it turns out that he and I, I mean, he, he and I have, have talked about this a lot. We have a lot of this in common, including being, uh, he was pointing out today, parents who uh, were children during the Great Depression and who seem to instill in their children this sort of risk-averse nature of like, oh, you, you just grab whatever you can get when you can get it because you never know when it's all going to go bad rather than like, I'm going to take a risk and if it, you know, if it doesn't work, I'll figure something out. And he feels that and I feel, felt that. And, and uh, so he, he, he did it. He, he left his law firm and, uh, and is now has his own firm where he likes to say he sort of practices like a, like an old country doctor. He likes consulting with his clients and doing the right thing for them and steering them away from things that might make him more money, uh, but are wrong for them. And, uh, he's a, so he's doing that. He's a business, business attorney. And then, uh, he's going to do more books and do more stuff on maxsparky.com. And that's awesome. He is a great guy. If you haven't visited his site, if you haven't looked at his books and you haven't listened to Mac power users, you are really missing out. And we're going to get more of David Sparks, uh, nerdy side, which every time I talk to him, I'm amused by the fact that he's got his, uh, all of his colleagues who are lawyers. And the people at the firm were like this and all of his other, his other lawyer friends. And they are completely baffled by us. They, they do not, they're like, you've got this Apple-y thing, this geeky thing. And they, they thought it was like, you know, this funny thing that he did, like collecting figurines or something. Yeah. And he, and he, 
and they're a little bit baffled that he's like, no, this is a major part of what I want to do and I want to make room for it. And I don't want to have cases that take up my entire like four months. So I can't do books and I can't do anything else. I want to be able to modulate that a little bit better. And now he's going to be able to do that. He's going to be able to pick his clients and do the kind of law that he wants to practice and have time to do his books and uh, write about stuff on his blog and do Mac power users. And uh, that's great. So I just wanted to mention that because he, you know, he's going through what, what I went through. And, you know, obviously he and I have been talking about this for a while and I'm really excited for him. I think he's going to do, I think he's going to do a great job. He's just one of those people that, you know, if you're going to throw around like the full time thing, you know, like the idea of going full time on your passion project or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like David is just one of those people that deserve it. Like just really does he's just so fantastic and he's such a um he's such a credit like to 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 the community like he's just such this just like fantastic thing you know that we all need to see more of and hear more of Mm -hmm. um we're lucky to have him and i'm so i'm just so happy for him it's just fantastic And I should mention, uh, I also listened this weekend as I was driving around LA, <laughs> freeways, there's a lot of driving involved. Uh, I got to catch up on a lot of my podcasts. I listened to la- last week's Inquisitive with uh, your guest, Merlin Mann. So this is, I guess, technically follow out. I wanted to mention, uh, because in, in a similar way, I mean, obviously you have gone through this going out on your own thing, like I have and like David has. And, and uh, I wanted to mention that you guys talked about a lot of these same issues in that episode of Inquisitive, which is really excellent, and about trying new things things and 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 making big jumps and i know that starting this week inquisitive is going to be a very different show and i've heard what you're doing with it and it's uh, really great but um i really encourage people to listen to last week's inquisitive with merlin if they want to hear you guys talk about some of the very same things that david and i were talking about over you know eggs and potatoes and sausage this morning thank you jason follow out to you that's like nepotism follow-out, but it'll it'll do. <laughs> it'll work. It'll it all shakes out. My other quick link is to the Johnny Ive profile that was in the uh, in the New Yorker today, which is so long that I I I didn't get through it, and I had to <laughs> I had to go. So I instapapered the rest of it. But be, people should read it. It's fascinating. The level of access the reporter got is excellent. The level of detail of the reporting was very impressive to me. The fact that this reporter was noticing lots of things and was following up with people and asking what they were later. And I was, I, as just from a pure re- reportorial stance, I was looking at it going, wow, okay, good job. This person did a really good job. Or or the editors or the fact checkers or who, whoever did it. it, it did a, they all worked on this. And it's, it's a very rich thing. Um, the short thing that I will mention, and I said this on Twitter earlier today, is come for the many tens of thousands of words profile of Johnny Ive. Stay for the anecdote about how he and J.J. Abrams discussed lightsaber design. Yes, I read that. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I saw this this morning and was like, I can't do this. <laughs> like, yeah. This is too much. So I, like I tweeted, like I'm just going to wait for people to sum it up for me. And then like for today, people have been sending me links, which has been awesome. Um, and there's one that I'm including in the show notes today, which are at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 23 or your podcast app of choice. Thank you. Um, no problem. Uh, the, <laughs> the Verge did a 15 things we learned. Uh, post oh, which nice. was very useful and it wasn't a slideshow it was just a list of 15 things and it, w- it was 
all very interesting stuff. Um, and I expect to, over the next day or so, see lots of little tidbits come up. But mm-hmm. I see an article like that. I see an article like that, Jason, and I think to myself, like genuinely, and I, and I don't mean it as a joke, like someone should just narrate it and put it out as a podcast. Like, it's, Oh, I agree. It's so long. Like it takes a lot of time for somebody to sit through it. Like even if you're mm-hmm. a fast reader, but like this is the perfect type of thing to turn into a 45 minute podcast. Just somebody reading it, because then people can like listen to it on their commute. Right? I don't know. Yeah. It feels like it's just one of those things that's like just begging to be put into audio form. But I agree. It's funny. I, I uh, having written that story about the photos app for tidbits last week. I um. They have a they have an audio recording of all their articles, so I actually got to record an audio version of what I wrote. Uh, and you know, the, among the many quirky things that the guys at Tidbits do that Adam and Tanya um, have, have put together over there, uh, that one fascinates me. Uh, and uh, but it's interesting that you mentioned this that that yes, this would have been a great podcast, this big profile. But uh, you know, I'm sure. Somebody out there will turn text to speech on it. That won't be the same, but it would be a great, it would be a great, I mean, I guess you could argue at that point, there's a slippery slope where people say, oh, well, but then if we were recorded as audio, do we get, well, but that takes too long. It's like, no, just read it. It's fine. Just read it. Yeah. Like you don't even, you don't need to have Jonathan Ive on the audio, like just read it. Anyway, anyway, that's just yeah. my, my, that, and that right. just simply comes because I'm just not a big fan of reading really long things. Mm. Fair enough. I also wanted to mention, since I'm down here in L.A., um, I, I wanted to, as a mini topic, just mention I'm I'm traveling. This is not something that I, I did before I got the Retina 5K iMac. I'm traveling with a laptop. that That's not new, but it's not my main Mac. And that has, I've had lots of interesting moments with that. I had that a little bit at Christmas when I was traveling. And uh, now the two, the two hard drives have diverged even further. <laughs> because that's what happens is they were one was a migration from the other so they were the same and then when i at christmas they, they had diverged a little bit and now they've diverged much further from each other um but i, I just want to say it's it, it's great first off it's great uh, federico vatici talks about like posting from anywhere using his his ipad i i felt like that with my 11 inch macbook air um, i posted an item from the marriott lax uh, lobby uh, that was going on with people dressed as various Doctor Who characters all around me. Uh, I posted some items from there for six colors. I posted items from my my in laws dining room table, um, and most most off I, I I noticed the things that I'm really thankful that I've got to make this process easier and make me not have to be quite as prepared as I might have had to be. You know, I was busy packing for the trip, and I didn't have to do a lot of packing on my hard drive for the trip. Because of Dropbox, uh, where I keep most of my active project files, because of 1Password, because this laptop, um, you know, doesn't have, and I think I maybe reset the cookies at some point, it doesn't, I had to log into everything on this laptop, maybe it's just because I haven't used it very much, and, uh, you know, 1Password syncing via Dropbox got me logged back into everything. Uh, and I didn't have any frustrations using Google Docs. I've got all of my documents uh, that that I needed to get, including our show notes here. They're in Google Docs. It was easy to get to them. Um, even something like LaunchBar, having stuff like I've got the Google Docs or the Google Drive app, and it puts files down on my uh, file system that aren't really files. They're just links to the stuff that's up on Google Drive, these uh, you know spreadsheets and, and documents. Um, and then LaunchBar indexes that. So I can just... 
open launch bar and type the first few letters of a Google Doc and it comes up and I don't have to think about it. It just sort of happens. It's great. Um, and if I did forget something, and I mentioned this on a previous show, um, if I did forget something, I also am grateful that I have an online backup because my online backup, I can I can actually restore files from my online backup of my iMac onto this laptop using the online backup service. And uh, that's great because if I do forget something at home, and that does happen, I can retrieve the backup file that I saved at home uh, even though my computer is off, which is also great. So I was really appreciative that we live in a world where I've got this little laptop and I've got all this software and all these cloud services and you put it all together and it kind of doesn't matter that I'm not on my computer that I use every day because other than the fact that the screen is dramatically less uh, sharp and dramatically smaller, which I really notice in a way that I did not notice before when I was using the 11-inch every day, um, it's, uh, other than that, it's just, uh, it's just easy. It's easy to keep doing my job even though I'm not on that system because of all these other uh, services and pieces of software that make it easy. I kind of um, deal with this in like a op, like a, the, the reverse. It's kind of strange. So like I use my Retina MacBook Pro as like my main computer. Like it's where all my stuff is. It's the computer that I use every day. But the Mac Pro is kind of where maybe the most important work I do is. And recently, I've been like I I have like a co-working space that I go to, but I haven't been there that much in the last couple of weeks because I'm working on uh, the new Inquisitive. It it requires me to be using Logic a lot to get it done. Um, you'll see why. Uh, and <laughs> the files are huge, like just humongous. Oh, yeah. So I can't really easily move them around, yeah. like to to the MacBook Pro. So I'm like chained to the desktop computer. In a, in a really weird way, because it's kind of like my laptop is where I do everything, and then usually my Mac Pro benefits from the fact that I have one password and Dropbox on them, even though I don't really use it for a lot. But now it's kind of like I can't go wherever I want because those project files are locked down to that machine just because they're like multiple gigabytes, and I don't want to and can't transfer them easily because I. I'm concerned huh. about like moving one to. I could like I, if I really really wanted to, I could just take the logic file and put it onto the Retina MacBook Pro and go. But it's I don't know. There's, there's you, you could you you could do it. I I do that. I I actually do that. I, yeah. I um I and I actually have because uh, I also will copy those files off sometimes to the my server that's attached to the, my Drobo and and then bring them back and and they're huge I've got uh, especially the radio theater episodes that I'm I'm working on uh, are are like what you're doing with inquisitive lots of editing lots of source files they are enormous like you know 50 gig files they're just they're 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 huge and getting bigger all the time Um and yeah, you can do it. You can do it. I, I mean, I, I end up to, to load up this laptop before I came here. That was the one thing I did was this week's episode of The Incomparable. And I plugged it into um, to gigabit Ethernet through the my, my gigabit Ethernet adapter and then copied it that way because yep. um, doing it airdrop was not going to do it. <laughs> so when, like, when I go, because I've got quite a bit of traveling uh, in April, I'm going to do an element of that. But it's like it. That's too much uh, for me just to work in a different location for a day, you mm. know, because then I'm moving it all onto one, then moving it all back again right, like and then four moving hours it back. later. 
Right. For this incomparable episode, when I get home, I'll just plug into Ethernet and copy it to the archive. I'm not going to copy it back to the desktop. I'm not going to go back and forth and back and forth a bunch of times. Exactly. That would get pretty annoying because the so, files are huge. Because, like I said, I would do it when, I, when I go, like, the same view, like, if I go on a longer trip, I will do it. But it's like the idea of I can't just, with all of my other work, you know, that I can do, I can just pick up from one machine, go to another, because it's easy, it's small files. Right. But once you start getting into these really large files, it kind of does tether you to a machine a mm-hmm. little bit more, especially with my personal internet issues, right. like with the connection speeds that I have. Like, there just isn't a way for me to move this, like, data mm-hmm. around uh, over the web. It's just not possible for me to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is, it's interesting. It is an issue. The, with, the, with the huge files, it's hard. Huge yeah. media files are still a little bit of an exception. You can't just drop them in Dropbox and know that if I close up here, I, I can go right over there and get them because it will take forever for them to sync. Yeah. Uh, for me, <laughs> if it, you like, have space. Like, it actually costs me money to do because I yeah. have to buy additional data for the hotspot that I use on the Mac Pro. Like, Oh, right. Well, yeah, you're not even, you can't even do a land sync there, no. can you? Mm. problems with it so there we go well not all things have been solved this will all be solved in five years uh, unfortunately though your files will then be like 20 terabytes and (laughs) you won't be able to transfer them then but yeah yeah everything else will get bigger (laughs) everything will get faster the hard drives will get bigger but your data files will just get huge because they'll be the 3d super telepathy audio yeah 3d audio oh i can't wait for 3d audio it's gonna be Mm. so good huge jason i want to ask you a question yeah is Apple building a car? Yeah, they got some. Uh, they got some um, cinder blocks up in their driveway. <laughs> they got a. They got the. They got the frame there. They got the chassis. They got the tires off. They're. Uh, they're working on it. What's going on here? <laughs> I have no idea. I. I uh, uh, this story seemed to come from a weird place. Like it spun out of the Tesla. You know. Tesla's stealing people from Apple, Apple stealing people back. And then all of a sudden the Wall Street Journal pops out with a story that says, you know, we've confirmed from sources at Apple that this is that there's a team of a hundred people who are working on a car project. Wow. <laughs> that was abrupt. That was sudden. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I don't know why. First off, okay, there are a bunch of things here. First off, Apple does a lot of R and D. Apple tries a lot of things, I think, that we never see or that we never see what they thought they would be when they started doing them. And I think that's part of what's happening here. Look, if you're Tim Cook and you're, and, or you're another senior executive at Apple and you're like, car, car, it's like Tesla's really uh, uh, got this opportunity to be the Apple of the car industry and really reinvent cars and, and think of them as electronic, electric cars, purely electric, they're computers, um, there's battery technology, which we know about. Manufacturing, we know about. Um, could should we do that, or is that too far afield for me? And 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 if I'm Tim Cook, maybe I say, you know what? Let's look at it. Let's see. And if it's not, and, and if any company has the money to spend to see, uh, it's Apple. And what if the answer is that it's a good idea? What 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 if they could could be a major player in the you know, super smart electric car industry with all of the skills that they've already got and they bypass it because they didn't want to bother to think about it. I mean, that's that's where you get into danger as a company. Um, we were talking about uh, on previous shows about Apple being willing to change, right? Like I wrote about it at, uh, at iMore 
um, a couple weeks back. Uh, this is one of those examples where I feel like it's really great that Apple has this let's try it attitude if this is what's going on here. Like, let's look at it. Now, they may decide it's a bad idea. They may come back and say, look, we can't add that much or it's going to cost way too much and we don't, you know, we don't think it's going to be profitable enough. There's so many different ways they could come back and say this program is not going to work. But, you know, unlike Google, which would just say, hey, look, self-driving cars, we're doing this thing. Uh, it, it might be a product in 20 years. Apple doesn't do that. Apple goes off and investigates lots of stuff, and they only tell you about it when they've got something that they want to sell you. So, you know, I, I, I'm curious about the whole, um, would Apple just rather buy Tesla or not? And maybe, you know, Maybe Elon Musk is not interested in working for Apple, and uh, and it's that simple. And Apple thinks, well, we don't want to work with Elon Musk anyway. What if we did an Apple car ourselves? What would that be like? And I can see why you'd get in a in a a war over um, engineers <laughs> if you have these two competing uh, smart car projects, or you know, super intelligent driving computer projects, whatever you want to call them. But so I don't think it's outrageous for them to be investigating it. I think the challenge for Apple is going to be, can they do this? Can they add to this? Can they really, can they really do something that changes the world? And are they trying to change the world or are they doing research that's going to allow them to, I don't know, buy somebody or sell this technology to somebody or uh, more likely uh, partner with somebody, make a partnership with one of the automakers I don't know how big are the automakers. Maybe Apple could just buy, <laughs> buy Ford or something, and well, say, "Well, oh, I think I, I think cars. I heard like you know one of those things when the earnings calls out like that Apple could buy like GM, Ford, and one other, and like they could just buy them if they wanted to. Yeah, in the Which same. They don't, sort of- why would you want to? Other other than the factories and some of the supply chain, but even then, the argument for Apple getting into the car business is that they don't want to be in the old car business. You, if you're Apple, you get into this business because you see you see it not as an extension of the old car business, but that the old car business that started with Henry Ford is dying, and there will be a new car business, and the new car business is going to be Tesla. And it's going to be what Google is doing. And it's going to be maybe some of these cars that some of the car makers are making now that are that are these electric cars that are very different, but that they don't want to be burdened by having this whole old car company infrastructure around them. And if they really believe that, that like we we can be better by not having any of that, then that's the reason you investigate it. So buying Ford, you know, on that level, like why would you do that? Yeah, like it. It seems seems crazy because you're buying. You're basically buying all of the wrong infrastructure. Like everything you're buying is kind of not what you're trying to make. If what you're trying to make is an electric car, because those companies have the ability to make electric cars, but they also have factories and tens of thousands of people that are making gas cars. So it's kind of right. like, why would you do that? I, I really don't know how I feel about this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've read some people say like what I originally thought, like my original thought about when I, you know, my my gut reaction, my instant reaction was if Apple make a car, I'm concerned about Apple's direction as a company mm. because it's like, what are you doing? Like, you, why why are you making a car, right? That's And I, I, I still think there's a big part of me that feels that way. Yeah. And then uh, like I've seen, seen some other stuff, like Stephen wrote a great, piece on 512 pixels about it because me and him originally had a conversation and we had the exact same feelings like what what are you doing and he wrote like this interesting piece about like you know 
consumer electronics can only go so far. Like if they want to continue as a company, they need to start thinking about other things. And this could be an interesting one to th- to do. And and I get that. I, but there's still this part of me, and, it's, and I do think it's the larger part of me. It's like, why? Like, you're 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 doing all right for money. Like, you know, like, but do you need? Is this the thing? Like, is this the next thing that you, well, it, as a company, should be yeah. going for? Like, are there not other things that aren't it, like cars? <laughs> it might be, or it might not be, and that's why I think they're investigating this. But you know, when I've talked about Google in the past, I keep saying, look, Google knows that, and you can see it in their balance sheet now. Google knows that text ad advertising is not gonna not gonna continue. They know it. They know it. And I think Google is spending all their crazy money they've got right now on all of these Google X projects because they're trying to place some bets or, or put, you know, put some money down in the roulette wheel and spin the wheel a couple of times and say, can we find the next big things? What are the next big things? Maybe for them, the next big thing is YouTube advertising. And then they're, they're working on the one that's after that. But I think as a company, if you're not looking for that next big thing, you risk becoming so complacent that you end up being like Microsoft and being sort of like, we're just going to ride this thing down. And then with Satya Nadella, he's like, oh, geez, we can't do that. And now he, he's been given the task of, of way too late saying, okay, we're going to rethink this. And so for Apple, I do think it's in Apple's character and their culture to say, why not? I think the moment, I, I think what you do is say, what are we good at? And if you look at the electric car thing and you say, okay, we have so much expertise. I mean, you could you could go the same direction. It's the, like the opposite direction from the watch. At least the watch right now is an iPhone accessory, but still, it's like kind of a wacky direction. But if you look at it and say, okay, design, hardware, integration between hardware and software, building devices with batteries, right? It's like uh, uh, building things at scale. Um, they're good at a lot of the stuff that goes into making an electric car. They're good at all that stuff. And if they think, like I said, if they think that that car market is going to have a shakeup, um, if, if, if current cars are like uh, mainframe computers or something, and this is like the first PC, or if this is like, these are like smartphones, as opposed to old cell phones. If they really think there's a market, I don't want to belabor that metaphor, but if there's a market change happening in the auto industry and that the companies that are best positioned to make cars in the future are going to be tech companies, not old style car companies, because the old style car companies, as technical as they get, are not going to be able to do what Tesla does because Tesla is starting from a very Silicon Valley kind of approach instead of having this whole huge legacy of uh, old school uh, auto automotive engineering and structure and factories and, and all of that. And now I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying if Apple thinks that, then I can see why they would look into this. But that's step one. <laughs> there are a lot of steps before I, I, you know we all get invited out to the track for a special Apple event <laughs> where where they uh, <laughs> unveil the cars and, a, and we a drive beautiful them, drive white them track with white tires yeah. that don't mark the track. I can't wait to see that Johnny Ive video about the car. But, you know, I, I so I wouldn't put it past them because we, Apple's in a very funny place right now where they've got huge momentum and all this power and, 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 and all this money. And I know we, we all would say things like, wow, I can't believe that they're building a car, but they can't get, you know, pages to work better and they can't get iCloud to sync better. It's like, well, that's true on one level. But on another level, you know, what is Apple best at? Apple is best at that building hardware with some really nice software on it. That hardware-software synthesis stuff. And if they view 
and, and they're really good. We know it's supply chain and, and, and hardware engineering and all of those things. If they view the electric car market as a place where that core strength of Apple would be a winner, and you got to think they, they, they do believe that, whether or not it's true, whether they're, they got to look at it and say, wow, if we did that, we would be awesome and we would totally win there. You, you know that people at Apple think that. The, the question is then, how do you investigate it in a sober way to find out what the real deal is so you can decide if you actually want to go down this path or not? And my gut feeling is that that's where they are or that they've just come out of that and are now have decided that it is and they're starting to do something more. You know, I, this, this feels to me like something that is years away. <laughs> Um, and is more investigatory. I, I, you know, I could totally be wrong. I don't have any facts about this, but that's that's just my gut feeling is that this is either something that they're still figuring out, or they've just figured it out and are are, are going to do it. But it's totally uh, reasonable, I think, to make that argument that that uh, they really believe that the entire auto industry is going to transform in the next ten or twenty years as electric cars come on board, and that the most important features of cars going forward are going to be about software and battery charging and self driving features and stuff like that that 's all about about software and if you 're apple and you 're looking at how current car makers approach the integration of hardware and software or even the integration of hardware the car and hardware the entertainment systems the 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 air conditioning all sorts of other things it's like it's terrible it's terrible like the the integration is really bad in most of the auto industry and uh tesla integration is pretty darn good and some of the luxury brands the integration is better but um you know i if you're apple and you look at that and say wow we could do full stack you know control the whole car and that we could make a much better car because of that. And that the future of cars is going to be that. Because the most important differentiating features in cars going forward is going to be stuff that requires super uh, high-tech software stuff and sensors. And that's us. I mean, if, if you really look at for 20 years and say every car is going to have a self-driving mode, it's like, you know, who's going to build that? Is it just going to be Google? Are car makers going to do it? Are OEMs going to integrate with cars? That's terrifying. Um, I, so I don't know. I, I, when I first heard, I thought this was totally crazy. And the more I think about it, the more I think like, if I was at Apple, I would certainly want to take a shot at at least seeing if this is something we want to do with an eye toward the fact that somebody might come back and say, man, you do not know what we're stepping in if we go go this way. And, and the ability to back away and say, look, it's not for us. Last question on this. Um, I don't think that since the iPhone, we've really had a compelling long-term rumor. Did you remember, like, rumors <laughs> used to be, like... iPhone rumor was, like, 12 years. Yeah, like, you'd have years. something, and then you'd talk about it a lot and a lot and a lot. And I guess maybe the Apple making a television is the only thing, but I genuinely feel like this is going to be the thing that people just keep talking about like yeah not like all the time but it's gonna because i remember you know like from years ago should apple make a car but it was always like should apple make a car right and know? it was it was super it was super jokey yeah. in a way that this is this is not i you know the watch was a little bit like that the tv gene munster is out there he's gonna flog that one um you know if apple comes out with an uh, with a car before they come out with the tv i expect gene munster to just throw himself in front of the car <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the I remember, presentation I remember Apple phone rumors from the 90s. Right. That's been going on. That went, that went on for a long time. So, in fact, when those rumors intensified, a lot of us were like, yeah, yeah, we've heard it before. 
Because it's like um, I've yeah. always felt that those long-term rumors become self-fulfilling prophecies. Hmm. Like if you if if people keep saying it and keep asking for it and keep wanting it, eventually maybe just have to make it. Because you know. get to the point where people want it so bad that if you have any inclination of, of, of making it, you've got a market. The market has created itself. I also think you can control, if, if you decide that's not a direction you want to go, Naturally. Um, you get to control that and say, never mind, right? And like downplay it and come out and, 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 and get the, you know, the one reason it builds is because you're not saying you're not doing it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and and I I would imagine that if Apple decides they're not doing it or that it's not going to be what people think, there will start to be those stories that will leak through reliable sources that will say, well, it's not really a car. What Apple's really doing is whatever, and they'll downplay it if they decide that this is not what they're doing. Cool. All right. Should we take a break and then actually talk about something which kind of plays into what we've just been speaking about? Yeah. Let's uh, do it. Jason, could you please, please thank our friends over at MailRoute? Yes, thank you, MailRoute. Um, and more than that, let me tell you. Let me tell you a little story, a little word picture. I know I've done this before. Uh, I live in a world without spam or viruses or bounced email, and that is because my email server is wired up with MailRoute. And and what I mean by that is I didn't so- install any software or hardware. All I had to do was change the MX record at my uh, domain name manager. And the MX record is the thing that says, hey, this is where my mail server is. That's where my mail should go. So what happens is all the mail that's addressed to me gets delivered, not to me, but to MailRoute. And MailRoute's super intelligent software sitting in the cloud looks at all that mail and it, they work very hard to make their algorithms really smart at detecting what is spam. They know stuff that looks totally innocuous by looking at the subject headers and things like that. They know it's spam because they are seeing all the spam that you know in their in their universe. And so they filter that stuff out. They do virus scans on file attachments. So if you've got a friend with a compromised Windows PC, that thing's going to get moved out of there. Bounces that come back to you that are like, uh, especially if people send out spam in your name, the bounces come back to you. That's the worst. That's filtered out too. So when I open my inbox, I don't see any of that. I just see the mail that I want to see. And there are some really great user-friendly features. Everybody on my domain receives a weekly uh, is it some of them are weekly and some of them are daily. It depends that everybody gets to choose their frequency, listing all the mail that was rejected uh, and its subject and who it was from. Those are very entertaining to see the trends and spam words. I it makes me laugh every time. Uh, and then there's a little link, and you can, with one click, I can whitelist and deliver a message if I see something that was filtered out um, wrongly, which doesn't happen very often. MailRoute is incredibly accurate, but when it does, I click that, and then that sender is never filtered again, and that message immediately appears in my inbox with one click, which is great. So MailRoute, trusted by the largest universities and corporations, not just me. And if you are uh, an email administrator or an IT professional, we've said this before, the number of buzzwords that MailRoute covers are amazing from API with account management to LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, Mike Hurley's very favorite feature, which is mailbagging. I feel it coming though. I get so excited. Mm, Mailbagging. Yes. Outbound relay, everything you want, all the buzzwords, they're in there. 
uh, th that's why the largest universities and corporations like MailRoute. So here's the deal. You can remove spam from your life for good. Use MailRoute as your filter. If you go to MailRoute.net slash upgrade, you can get a free trial. There is no reason not to give it a try. And if you like it and you buy it, you get 10% off, not for some small term, but for the lifetime of your account at MailRoute. Go to MailRoute.net slash upgrade. And thank you to Upgrade for sponsoring. Thank you for MailRoute. Thank you, MailRoute. Thank you, Upgrade, for being sponsored by MailRoute. MailRoute. That's backward. Welcome Mailbagging. To, welcome to MailRoute. This is Upgrade. <laughs> this is our new podcast brought to you by Upgrade. <laughs> Thank you to MailRoute for sponsoring Upgrade. Thank you, MailRoute. Thanks, Mr. MailRoute. <laughs> that was a newsboy. A 30s newsboy came in. Or Mickey Mouse. <laughs> oh, dear. What is, t tell me about this link that you've put in here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Our next topic is this link I put in here. I, I, I wanted to just mention, this is not a, it doesn't have to be a very long topic, but predicting the difficulty of predicting Apple. We just spent a lot of time uh, chewing over this rumor about Apple making a car. And, and I love that stuff. I love trying to figure out what Apple's thinking. That is like my favorite thing, is like observing what Apple does, trying to figure out what their thought processes are, trying to understand Apple. And sometimes it rubs people the wrong way, and I get people who say to me, why did you say that this was a good idea? You always say that, that you know, Know, this thing that Apple's doing is a good idea. It's like, you know, I don't always think that what Apple does is a good idea. I'm, I'm not trying to endorse Apple's ideas. I'm trying to understand why they do them because I think that we're all served by having a better idea of why Apple does what it does. I think that helps. Understanding Apple is important. And, and uh, so that's why I spend a lot of time with it. Um, a guy named John Kirk, speaking of lawyers and former lawyers, I believe he's a former lawyer, uh, wrote a piece on tech pinions called The Secret to Apple's Success Remains a Secret. Um, you should you should read it. It's an interesting piece. The the money graph is. I notice a consistent pattern in Apple's critics. Those that understand Apple the least criticize them the most. If you want me to believe you understand the reasons why Apple will fail, first demonstrate to me that you understand the reason why Apple grew at all and grew so tall. Until then, I'll remain skeptical of the doomsayers. For while I have great respect for the opinions of many Apple observers, I still believe that the secret to Apple's success remains a secret. Um, I think what, the, what, so there's so much here that's really interesting. Um, one of them is a lot of the people who write about Apple being doomed prove in what they write that they have no idea about how Apple's business works or why Apple has been successful. And those are people that are, it's actually very easy to ignore them because these are the people who say Apple is doomed. At some point, people are going to wake up and realize that these are just you know, religious cult drone people who were brainwashed by clever marketing into buying products. Those people have no idea what they're talking about. You can just discount them. I almost um, can't believe that people still write that stuff in 2015. I saw one the other week. It, it, it's I mean, sometimes I, I'm not sure they believe it, but they write it. I mean, this is the Rob Enderly factor. Rob Enderly, I'm pretty sure, doesn't believe most of what he writes. He's writing it because he's getting paid to write it, and he makes a very nice living writing what his clients pay him to write and opining about whatever his clients want him to opine about. Um, I... <laughs> It's a living. I, I couldn't do that. But uh, that's what Rob Enderley seems to be doing. I, I the, the, So anyway, the point, the, the difficulty with Apple's success of the last decade is if you were an analyst or a journalist or, or something in between, fashion industry analyst, who, uh, who said Apple's making mostly good decisions, Apple's going to keep growing, Apple's doing great. And you had said that consistently since 1997, <laughs> you'd be right. 
You could also say, well, if you're somebody who's just an Apple fanboy, who thinks everything Apple does is right, you could, since 1997, have said, everything Apple's doing is great, Apple's going to keep getting great. They would be right. And that leads to a very interesting case where uh, you have to look a little bit deeper because somebody who correctly and who critically evaluates Apple but correctly perceives what the company is doing is hard to distinguish from somebody who just uncritically praises Apple on the surface because Apple has done so well. So this is the challenge, and this is actually, I think, the source of why a lot of people who write about Apple, um, including John Gruber, get called lots of names, is, uh, you know, I think John Gruber is a really good critical thinker and is well aware of the issues involving Apple. And, and this is the thing about Marco writing that piece that criticized something about Apple and people's like, oh, geez, now things are bad. That Even the fanboys are criticizing Apple. It's like, no, he's been doing that a lot. But it is easier to paint everybody with that same brush because Apple's done so well. And I always got that at Macworld. There was a period in Macworld where people were saying, why do you keep giving, why does Macworld, not just me, why does Macworld keep giving all of these products these high ratings? It's like, well... Show me the last really, really doggy Mac that Apple developed. There was a period there where they just were good. They were on a roll. The products were good. Do I give a terrible review to a product just for variation, just for, for kicks? And this is, so this is the problem when Apple's on a roll like this, is that the contrarians have always been wrong, and the fans have always been right. And so it becomes really difficult to figure out who's got a handle on it and who doesn't. And I think that's some of what John Kirk's going for here. And I mean, and his argument is we still don't really understand Apple's success because when you're hitting all the greens, there's no way to tell whether whether your theories about what Apple's doing right are right or not. Because until they have some failures and and some like serious failures, and we can go back and go, oh, well, that means that this theory isn't right. It's very hard to tell. I, and I, I think that's a really interesting idea, and I, I think it's true. It's, it's, I think it's very easy to see the people who totally don't get Apple, but it is harder for us to know for sure um, like I said, it's harder for us to know for sure that we understand Apple. And that's one of the things that fascinates me is trying to understand why they do what they do. And, and since I'm not a financial analyst, I'm a little less concerned about why they're financially successful than sort of like creatively successful. Why, why do they make the choices that they, that they make? Um, and, and then I, I also, in our document, linked to a, a, an amusing tweet by Farad Manju, who wrote from the New York Times, who said, at this point, the whole journo analyst class, myself included, has to concede we were wrong about Apple having to make a cheaper iPhone. Now, I appreciate the mea culpa. However, it's a little less of a mea culpa when you say, hey, don't blame me. Everybody got it wrong. To which I say, really, everybody? I don't think that's accurate. I don't think everybody got it wrong. I think people have been complaining about Apple needing to go down, down scale and reach a, a cheaper market for ages now, and that has never proven to be right. And some people know that. And uh, I just, I, I just that that tweet made me laugh out loud. That it's the, the very well done way of wrapping your yourself, wrapping your entire field around you, so that it's not just you who, who got it wrong. But I, I think Kirk's point is fascinating. The idea that when all you see from Apple is success, and, and this is similar to what John Syracuse talks about on ATP sometimes, which is, uh, I think goes back to the Pixar question, which is um, success, <laughs> what is the John Madden line? Success is a great deodorant. The idea that as long as everything's going good, a lot of the problems, you just never see them. 
because nobody has to deal with them because everything's everything's looking good and it's only when there are there are failures that you can start to pick it apart and and uh, I'm sure Apple has lots of internal processes to identify failures but it's very hard for us to see it on the outside and they, what they call failures are probably not things that are even very visible for us and if they if they are visible for us Apple will deny that they're failures even while they're probably eating each other alive inside saying how could we have done that better anyway I, I just I'm fascinated by the idea that Apple has been so unprecedentedly successful that it's actually hard to judge why. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I I don't I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Uh, it, the regards like to to being critical about Apple, uh, I think for me anyway, like it's worth pointing out that like being critical is not necessarily a like a bad thing in in like the idea of we criticize apple um but we're not saying that they are doomed and i think that there is there, oh yeah it, there's, there's really a, a a thing to make because saying like the people that are like the people that are most critical are maybe the people that know the least it depends on i think it depends on how they're being critical because we are critical about apple because we know a lot about them and we love them and when they do things that are crazy to us or annoying to us, it's because we know how good they can be. I, I think that what Kirk is saying is that we're not in that group of the ones who criticize Apple the most because they're those people who literally just criticize everything Apple does. We're more down in the, you know, I like this. Of course, you know, I love my Mac. It's great. But, <laughs> which is a, a level a level down for him in the hierarchy of, of, of critics. But it is true that we have, the especially Apple, Apple, ecosystem here media ecosystem is really weirdly distorted because first off there were all the people who remember when apple was doomed was actually doomed in the 90s um and now apple's been on this incredible run and that leads to this really weird combination of things where uh, you've got the doomsayers out there people conflate any criticism of apple with being the doomsayers is so easy I, i don't know if you've experienced this i have if you write something that says that something about Apple is less than up to par, you will get furious people who are trying to destroy you because they basically are going to destroy. I think they've they've geared up for a fight with the, the people on, you know, Business Insider who are just writing stupid things, but they don't they don't limit their attack to that. They will attack they're they're, they're gonna attack all lack of uh, purity of thought. And uh, and that that's I think really harmful to discussion of Apple and critical views of Apple, but it, it's a weird environment where you've got these critics of Apple who totally don't get it, and it makes criticizing Apple with nuance a lot harder because of this that that layer floating at the top that is just stupid and has no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, like we can be quite and we are quite critical of Apple Unconnected. Um, you know, me, Stephen, and Federico, we kind of say how we're feeling. And if something annoys us, then we, we do. And some people kind of see that as us just being like down on them, um, which is not kind of what our intention is. Is the idea because we love them and we know what they're capable of yeah. that when they don't, and you know, and it's difficult because it's like, you know, make us unicorn tears, like give us everything we want all of the time. <laughs> But it's a company that historically has had a pretty good track record of doing that, you know? Um, so we kind of want what we know they can give us. Yeah, and and uh, as, as, as somebody once said, nothing is so perfect that it can't be criticized, right? I mean, this is, this is how I've made my... Look, 
it, you could argue that a huge chunk of my media life, not just about tech, but about culture stuff with the incomparable stuff, is about dissecting and criticizing things I like. <laughs> and it doesn't mean I don't like them. This week's Incomparable is about a movie called The Core, which is really bad and I don't like it. But generally, discussing things I like. And like John Syracuse always says, you know, understanding why you like it and what parts you didn't like and what worked and what didn't, or like I said, why Apple does what it does, is I find I find examining all of that really interesting. There are people who who will view criticism as an attack, and if you're somebody who's really internalized your love of Apple products, uh, you can and you feel like people are really saying stupid, mean things about this company whose products you love, like uh, some of these Business Insider and Forbes kind of pundit people that John Kirk is talking about having no idea even about what they're writing. And especially if you're somebody who lived through that near-death experience in the 90s, then when people criticize Apple, it feels like they're criticizing you, and you take it personally, and you get mad. And there, there is some of that out there. But I am I agree with you. I, I, you know, I think, as we say on... Um, on, on the incomparable, actually, a lot of this stuff is coming from a place of of love, or at least of wanting, you know, wanting the products to be better because we want them to be good because we use them and we like them. It's not coming from a place of destruction where what we really want to do is tear this thing down. It's it is at at its core constructive criticism, uh, where if you're not trying to change the behavior of someone else, you're at least trying to understand why you didn't like something or how it could be different. And you know that's not for everybody. Some people just want to say, "Yeah, I like it. It's cool. I don't want to hear about the bad things," and that's fine. That's a valid choice. But I I love uh, picking that stuff apart and not trying. And that is not a worldview that says everything is bad. It's more like a worldview that says it's kind of fun to understand why things are good and why they're bad and what the nuances are there. But uh, it is a charged, Apple is a company that is just full of charged commentary and it makes it much difficult to um, find places in the middle sometimes. Should we do some Ask Upgrade? Yes, Mike, I think it's time to move on to hashtag Ask Upgrade brought to you by Stamps.com. <laughs> I love that we have a sponsor for that. I, like, I really so, like it. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> Mailbagging is actual <laughs> mail. You could put it in a bag, but you should probably use a box or an envelope. Stamps.com. So getting your mailing and shipping done, if especially if you're a small business or a home-based business, it can seem like a no-win situation. Going to the post office takes time, and it's only open at certain times. Leasing a postage meter for your business is expensive. There are often multi-year commitments, and there are hidden fees. Stamps.com is a better way. With stamps.com, you buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk using your own computer and printer. And stamps.com is more powerful than a postage meter at a fraction of the cost. You can save up to 80% with stamps.com compared to a traditional postage meter, and you don't have to go to the post office. Stamps.com is a service. It's $16 a month or $15.99. What's a penny between friends? That's it. There's no long-term multi-year commitment like postage meters require. There's no markup on postage. In fact, there are postage discounts with stamps.com. So it is really no, really a no-brainer if you are in a small business and you are mailing a lot of stuff and you're thinking about getting something like a postage meter or you're frustrated by having to go to the post office. Uh, I've been using stamps.com to send packages out for the incomparable. I also sent a box to Dan Morin. He got it. 
It's a hilarious box because it's got it's got uh, discs in it from an old shrink wrap copy of Logic Pro that I had laying around because Dan needs to edit better. So he he's frustrated with GarageBand, and I said, I, you know, I have this copy of Logic Pro sitting around, Logic Pro Nine, but it's it works fine. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, getting a box full of discs in 2015 is really weird, and I sent him like a magnet, um, an, an unofficial, by the way, Mike bootleg clockwise magnet. Yeah, you'll be I, hearing. I went there. I'm going to hire David Sparks. David you'll Sparks. Be from him. <laughs> you, it's too late. I've hired him to defend me. Um, so I, I and I've really been enjoying um, putting that stuff in my mailbox or handing it to my uh, postman and not going to the mail to the post office, which is I don't want to go there and see those people ever. Um. So there's a special offer right now from Stamps.com. Use promo code UPGRADE, which is the name of the podcast you're listening to, so it should be easy to remember. It is a very simple word. And you'll get a no-risk trial, and there's a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, look up at the top of the screen, and you will see a microphone icon. You click on that and type in the word UPGRADE. So stamps.com, go there, look for the microphone, enter upgrade for the special no-risk trial offer. And thank you so much to Upgrade for being sponsored by stamps.com. See, I'm just going to keep doing that now. That's the new way I'm going to do it. Thanks, stamps.com. So let's do some Ask Upgrade. Hashtag Ask Upgrade. Listener Ben wrote in to say, uh, regarding the Photos app, which we talked about last week, any way to have multiple iCloud accounts, for example, me and my wife, feed to the, the same photos in our library? Listener Ben, uh, it's a beta, and it's a new version, so you never know what's going to happen. But, <laughs> uh, right now, right now, no. Right now, it is a one-to-one, and in fact, you can only have one um iCloud account per computer or one one or one photos library per computer sync to iCloud. So uh, maybe I, I would love family sharing, for example, to have some hooks for photo photo stuff. It feels like if they were gonna do it, they wouldn't do it that way, Ben. They would do it through family sharing. Yeah, and I think. Uh, you know, this is also new, including family sharing. That that would be the kind of thing that maybe in a year, you know, maybe yeah. in the next rev, we would yeah, get not, some more family features well, like this because it's a natural. An, that's such an easy version two thing, isn't it? Like you, so, yeah. you know, that's that's a feature that you could conceivably wait on, and it gives you something to say, like, oh, and now we have this. Well, there's already a shared library infrastructure so you could have a family version of a shared library infrastructure that allowed you to share some or all of your photos and they would just be part of everybody in the family's library in some way there are ways they could do it we're just not there yet this is this version is brand new still in beta and it's going to be one library one iCloud account per Mac and they don't you know you can do the sharing stuff so you could share albums and things with uh, your wife's iCloud account, but it, it's not the same as having sort of a, a shared pool right now, mm-hmm. unfortunately. We have uh, at Eves underscore IO. Yeah, I think this is Eve, Eve. Uh, in French. Oh. Um, oh, yes. Eve. Oui, oui. Oh, of course, yes. We Europeans are neurotically privacy convert- concerned. Is there a photos for Mac setup with minimum iCloud involvement? 
Yes. And Eve, yes, that is true. I know you Europeans, including Mike, are privacy concerned. Are the British still considering themselves European? Uh, Technically, no, not in that sense. Like, we are in (laughs) Europe, but most most Brits do not consider themselves European. And plus, like... I do not have privacy concerns. Really. Uh, okay, just Fair in enough. general, well, for 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 Eve's sake, anyway. Um, the um, yes is the answer. You don't even need to turn on iCloud Photos to use Photos for for Mac. You can just leave it off, um, and you don't even need to have your photos come into the Photos library if you want. If you've got them as files on your desktop, you or in folders or wherever you keep them you can actually there's a setting to not copy them into the library and then when you drag them in it's it, it's referencing them on disk and what is that doing so, hard linking or something what is that doing no that 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 it's just uh referencing the files that's like essentially like an alias oh, so okay. if you delete them they're gone <laughs> I checked. Hard linking them would be interesting because the idea there would be that if you deleted them from uh, from your disk, they would still be in the library. But I think that defeats the purpose of managing them yourself, which Naturally, is if you want yeah. to delete them, you would just delete them and they'd be deleted. This way you delete it and it wouldn't go anywhere and you'd be like, why? Why won't it die? And then you're deleting everything in two places and that's a bad thing. So but so yes, you can, you can use it as not iCloud but managing its own library or even not iCloud and having it being on your desk, a uh, desktop, or on your hard drive, and that all works. So that's pretty Hooray. cool. See, so you can you can effectively use it as just a, an app for local photos, like iPhoto, basically. Yeah, I, I know that sounds like a crazy thing to to, to maybe to, to inquire, but it just seems uh, that Apple is so iCloud focused that it would be like the app for the future. But it's good that they're keeping that in mind for people that don't want to do that. Right. Also, some libraries are going to be huge. And uh, you've got to pay for iCloud yep. Sync, yep. so people are not gonna. Some people are not gonna want to pay, and that's fine. Um, and and uh, yeah, uh, ooh, this is a Twitter. See, these we're in Ask Upgrade where we don't actually know the names of people because the Ask Upgrade thing doesn't do it. This is from Twitter user. Ah, it's nearly down. It's Andy, listener Andy, says Mike. What do you make of the news that Zane Lowe is leaving the Beeb for Apple? And I've also got a, a, a tweet here from a iMike, spelled, spelled strangely with a Y, that, that says, guy? context, Zane Lowe is way more than a DJ. The guy loves music and can spot new stuff like no one else. This makes sense for curation. So can you talk a little bit about Apple hiring this fellow named Zane Lowe, who I've never heard of? So Zane has been uh, Zane is from New Zealand, I think, but he's been on the BBC for as long as I can remember. Uh, since two thousand and three, he has been he mo- he's been uh, a DJ on Radio One. Um, I'm going to include a link as well to uh, an article that Federico wrote because Federico is familiar with with Zane Lowe as well. What makes Zane Lowe more than a DJ is his ability to spot and discover new music. Like there are a lot of bands that have been very popular in Britain, um, either American bands or UK bands, doesn't really matter where they come from, that have become popular because of Zane Lowe's influence. Hmm. Uh, like, for example, a band that I really love, the Arctic Monkeys, they Zane really kind of pushed them even further into the mindset of like the general hmm. populace because they became po- the Arctic Monkeys became popular because they kind of didn't try and destroy music sharing like if people were sharing their music illegally they didn't stop it really huh. um so it kind of helped them 
become big that way but then they kind of had to break through the radio one audience which is like you know a main a large mainstream audience in the uk but basically it makes sense for zane uh to to join apple if what apple is doing is continuing to go with music curation in their Mm -hmm. music streaming service that will replace beats because which is the best thing about beats i think Yes, it is for me, 100%. And uh, that's why I put up with some of my frustrations with it is because the music curation is so good. Yeah. Um, and Zane Lowe joining Apple as, as like an edit- in an editorial position mm-hmm. is fantastic because he is really great at spotting new music. I hope that they continue to do something with him that he is famous for. He used to do these like um, album playbacks. Uh, where he would bring the artist into the studio and he would play the entire album, a new album or a a recent album, and talk through with the artist each track. Just absolutely fantastic. And he's just one of those people that really understands. Um, Are you familiar with John Peel, Jason? Uh, vaguely, yes. John Peel was a was another Radio One DJ mm-hmm. uh, from many years ago. He he passed away in two thousand and four, but he is like very very well known uh, for doing this. Like he, the Peel sessions, which were a thing where he would oh, yeah. pick out music. Like it, it, nobody has ever had a ear in, in you know it, like in recent history like, as well known for having an ear for new music as John Peel. But Zane Lowe is is to my mind anyway one of the closest people in the UK mm. that could could do that and and i guess what speaks to his ability is that apple is bringing him over from the united kingdom to work with them in the u.s um do you, do you know what i mean i think yeah. it shows his ability is that they're bringing someone from outside of the united states to come and to come and work with them on this very exciting i'm very very excited now to hear that's that. cool that's cool i think i think it's i mean this is another example of how the way we think of apple has to change because apple is not the company that it was and there are a lot more parts of it and having somebody like zane Lowe, who is a uh you know a curator and understander and breaker of new music uh when you're when you know you have itunes and you have a, a streaming service uh, it you know that's the business that they're in and uh and that's uh and who knows? They'll also probably have him find uh, the right uh, the right breaking bands to run in their commercials too, or something like that. I mean, having some people like that who understand music, because it is you know they love music at Apple and all, but it is a tech company. So having people who understand this uh, part of the this business that they're in is smart. We have one more piece of uh, of uh, feedback. Of, or sorry, not feedback. We're not using that word anymore. Hashtag ask upgrade question ends. And it is from Twitter user Tarkid. And I wonder if I can... We'll play the game of like, what's their actual name? Twitter li- listener Robert. There you go. Listener Robert wrote in to say, I'm just saying, Mike watches a movie can be a regular feature. I love it. Uh, I think what we said last week is, I think I think Mike watches a movie... Uh, movies with Mike, whatever we want to call it, should should be a recurring feature. It's not going to be every week, but but uh, I think I think as movies uh, come up, uh, we will uh, we will do more of that. Do you think? Are you up for it? For I am. More movies? Yeah, I'm definitely up for it. We may we may be stealing it for an episode of Analog. Oh, because I've never seen Sneakers, and it drives Casey insane. Oh well, th- I was going to say we got some feedback suggesting that we uh, that we that we have you watch Sneakers. 
Right. Well, then but, there you go. That, listen to Analog. I think maybe okay. maybe next week's episode because it's one of Great. Casey's movies, and he constantly quotes it to me, and I have no idea what he's talking so about. <laughs> this is going to be like a floating vertical movies with Mike. I think Just it could around. be fun. Because uh, it, it might be a nice thing to cross around with. Federico's always telling me to watch Mean Girls, but I don't think that will pop up on any of the the other shows. But who knows? You never know. You never know. You never. Know. You can make it. You can make it a subcast. That's <laughs> oh, the thing that I invented. That's you do that. <laughs> I'm leaving that solely on you. <laughs> the movies with Mike subcast. Um, speaking of which, I did mention that we uh, that we watched the core on the incomparable, which is a thing we're going to try to do on a recurring basis, where we watch a, a shall we say not particularly well loved science fiction movie from the past. And uh, so you should check that out. It's uh, very funny. It's me and Dan Warren and John Syracuse and Tony Sindelar uh, talking about 2003. Uh, science fiction disaster movie and that word disaster is probably in the wrong place in that sentence uh the core so you should check that out whilst we're doing this whilst we're doing follow out i want to tell people to go listen to the incomparable game show oh yeah we should we should mention that that hadn't dropped when we were on last week it's uh inconceivable which is a reference to the princess bride which you've seen yeah yeah with dan morin is the first episode of the incomparable game show and it, uh did you like it I loved it. You know I've wanted you to do game shows for a long time. Yeah, I know. I know. We did it. I'm so... I've, it's fantastic. Explain to people, though, very quickly... Sure. ...how this works, because it is a little bit different. So, uh, all of us professed a love for panel shows and game shows, and none of us felt like we had the time or energy to do one every week. And we talked about, well, could we do it every other week? Well, probably not. Maybe once a month. And a bunch of us said, oh, I could do a, I could do a game show or a panel show once a month. And I had, that, I had this moment. I think it was me. We, we had a whole thread about it. It could have been somebody else. But there was this moment that was, well, if we've got four people who are willing to do a game show once a month, we could just have it be like a rotating wheel of shows in the podcast. So that's what we're trying to do. So Inconceivable was number one. There'll be a new thing uh, this week, hopefully we're recording it later tonight, uh, that I'm doing with Dan Morin that is similar to Clockwise, but the opposite. Hmm. An alternate reality. Uh, David Lohr is working on a, on a, on a panel discussion show. Um, and uh, Philip Michaels is working on one for us too. So, which which <laughs> listeners of the Macworld podcast might be able to guess what that is going what, to be? What on earth type of game show could <laughs> Philip Michaels be working on? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, well, and we'll see how it goes. And if other things fall in and things fall out uh, as we go, that's fine. But and it may not be exactly every week, depending because it's a lot of scheduling of a lot of different moving parts. But uh, yeah, we're we're hoping to keep it up. I love those I love those kind of shows because you end up it, they end up being really entertaining, and it's fun to listen to people play games while they're also uh you know having a good time and making jokes and things like that and dan wrote a really nice blog post on his blog about his inspiration for doing it and it's actually a a radio show in in uh in massachusetts that the the host of it just uh, passed away a couple weeks ago um and uh it's a really nice piece that he wrote and inconceivable was a lot of fun i was one of the contestants on that um if you're somebody who is sort of uh, not interested in listening to people uh critically break down movies and tv shows and things like that but does like uh funny panel shows like you get on npr like ask me another or wait wait don't tell me check it out incomparable game show the incomparable.com slash game show all right um 
movies with mike follow-up i wanted to we had a little bit of follow-up for movies with mike last week and since the movies with mike segment was at the end of the show i thought we would put this follow-up at the end of the show if you're somebody movies with mike is a special segment if you don't want to listen to it you don't have to we're not making you we're putting this at the end out of consideration to you so the follow-up is at the end now we had two really nice pieces of follow-up uh listener Lindsay wrote in and he said um i'm listening to your real genius segment i hadn't seen it before so i watched it last week when you mentioned it now we discussed uh the jordan mitch relationship last week and uh Lindsay says uh jordan clearly says she's 19 at least once and in the scene with mitch and sherry she says something like i've been waiting for this moment and i took this to mean mitch had just turned 16 so there's a suggestion there maybe about age of consent um uh, and then he points out correctly immediately when Mitch goes to see Jordan and says, I don't want to do it with her. I want to do it with you. Um, this doesn't really square with your interpretation of an innocent relationship. I accuse you, Jason Snow. So he didn't actually say that, but I, I put that in there. So I, I have two comments here. One is um, as somebody who has watched this movie a lot, I feel like I, I feel like the way that that's phrased is a nice turn of phrase, but he's not very specifically saying, let's go have sex right now. I think it's much more just him revealing that he has romantic thoughts for her. And like I said, I think these two characters are so innocent and kind of growing emotionally that it's going to, they'll get there, but it's going to take a little time. I also wanted to say that, um, my friend Erica Ensign, who does the Doctor Who podcast Verity and is on The Incomparable a lot and is on Total Party Kill, who I got to see this weekend uh, in person, which was great. Um, she has this thing that she didn't invent, but I, I feel like she's popularized within our circles. The idea of something called headcanon. And headcanon is when you take the text of a work and then you have you lay your interpretation on it and say, well, I would like to believe this is what this means. And so it's like you inscribe into the canon of that work what you think uh, it all means. So in my head canon for Real Genius, which I suppose I have, um, Mitch and Jordan do not immediately hook up. But they become, they, they, they take it slow. And they'll get there, like I said. But I feel like neither of them is quite ready at that point to jump into the uh, teen 80s teen sex comedy scene. And that they're... They're going to take it slow, and, and their relationship is going to grow at a, a little bit of a slower pace, given that he's 16 and she's 19, and they're both somewhat innocent when it comes to this stuff. That's my headcanon. That, that is, or to put it another way, that's the way I choose to read the, the movie. Other interpretations are perfectly valid, but that's my headcanon. So there it is. I don't know if you had those sorts of deep thoughts while you were watching it, Mike. Yeah, as I said, I was, I was still freaked out by it. Like, and, and I, <laughs> I felt better after you explained that to me last week. You know, the idea is like they're both just simple, like simple-minded, and they, you know, they they may not have thought about doing anything like that yet. Yeah. they're kind of innocent in that regard. I'm right there with kind you. Of, he's terrified. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, Mitch is he, terrified of the lady's name. I can't remember. Sherry. Sherry and he's try- he's trying in his own stumbling way to explain that the reason that he 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 ran out of a, also as a as a, a adolescent male you've got a woman in your room who's taken off her clothes and wants to have sex with you and you run out why would you do that that's that's awesome why would you do that and so in his own little adolescent way he's trying to explain to the girl he likes 
this is why it's because I like you. And so, you know, when she says, did you make it with her? He says, you know, no, I want to do that with you. He's not saying right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the way I take it. Also in the chat room, Doug Beale asked for the uh, etymology of hand- headcanon. And there is a me- Know Your Meme page about headcanon. The idea is there is canon for like Doctor Who and Star Trek and things like that, which is like, well, if it's in the show, it's it's canon. But if it's in the books, it's not canon. It's not official. It could be contradicted at any time. And you can't use that as proof that when Captain Kirk fires the phasers in this scene, he's doing it because his brother's uh, second son who was kidnapped by the Klingons, et cetera, et cetera, because that happened in a book and not in the show. And That's canon, right? Head canon is you get to decide what canon is in your own mind. And if you decide that uh, the reason this person in this movie does this thing is because of this thing that's not in the movie, but you've decided that that's what it is, that's your headcanon. And it's, it's, it's a, I, I like the, the concept because it's, it, it's, it's a pithy way of saying it is my personal interpretation of the text. And I, I have it. And, if you, and, and I've decided that's, I'm comfortable with that. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You can have your own headcanon, but this one is mine. <laughs> It's one of my favorite things about listening to shows that have that talk about movies or, or or have movies as a subject. Like when people say stuff like, "Oh, you know, James Bond wouldn't have done that because he does this," and "Oh, I'm sure that when uh, this happened, what he actually like he was thinking this or he was meaning this." Like that's all headcanon, and I love it. Where it's just like yeah. you know the characters, so you believe that they act in a certain way. Nobody said it. I mean, you can also assume that it was the director's interpretation, but still, nobody right. said it. And, and also, this is your this is a way out of plot holes sometimes. Yeah, yeah and you make it, excuses it, for it because you want to. Right, right, and that's and that's why Erica will often say, and this is the phrase that uh, Jonathan Mann used in his year end song for the incomparable, which is apply some hand wavium to your head cannon. The hand wavium is an element that you can apply to anything that explains away things that probably don't make any sense. And headcanon is actually really good for that. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, you can pick a favorite movie and say, well, why does this person do this? And you say, well, probably there's something we didn't see where, you know, and, and that is, that is you trying to interpret your way out of something. And some, in some cases you're probably right. And the writers are like, we don't need to explain every single thing that happens in the movie. People will figure it out or they'll make up their own explanation and we'll move on. But if you want to get an explanation, you can apply some hand wavium to your head cannon. Eric is so fantastic. I'm so happy that you you brought her onto the incomparable show. She she is great. She is uh, she's really great. She she um, you know she she's on this podcast Verity, which is uh, which is a bunch of women talking about Doctor Who, and it's a great podcast. And I got to meet many of the Verities this weekend, which was really great. And they're all so smart and so funny. And I was listening to Verity, and I thought. Um, Erica sounds like one of us. She sounds like, uh, actually several of them do, but she was like, I, I was thinking, I, I'm trying to get more women into the Incomparable panel, and I, I, I heard her talking, and I thought, I think she would fit in. So I, I emailed her, and I said, I'm sorry, you have no idea who I am, but I have a podcast that you've never heard of. And, um, but but some of, uh, her her husband does a podcast, and and uh, th- those guys know who I am. Um, and her, her friend Chip, who she does the Babylon 5 podcast with, is a friend of mine too. So you know people who know me, but you don't know me. But I have a podcast, and would you like to be on? And I said, for example, next week we're doing an episode about The Matrix. And she said, oh my God, I saw The Matrix 20 times in the theater. And I said... I would like you on my podcast, <laughs> and and yeah, she's great. And that, that was one of those uh, that that was one of those great moments. I, I need to do more. We have so many people on the panel, and yet I, I always like recruiting more people because they bring all sorts of interesting new perspectives. And she's been a great one. 
uh, and it was great to see her in person uh, this year. I, I saw her last last year at the same event, and I, I got to go back and see her again. We have one more bit of uh, Mike, Movies with Mike follow-up, which is from listener Lauren, who actually liked the opening song, which I kind of downplayed with the jazz and the pictures. Um, and uh, Lauren said, I, I always thought this is just wonderful. It sets an interesting off-center mood appropriate for this movie. And then here's, I thought this was really good. We were talking about the references to the male anatomy that are throughout. Um, And listener Lauren says, I never thought of it until you brought it up, but all those repeated references to that particular part of anatomy might well be a nod to the very common trope in the 60s and 70s, or like ever, of nuclear missiles and by association all weapons as a pretty obvious phallic symbol for people who must have been trying to prove something. And you know what? I have never thought of that interpretation, but I think I'm putting that in my head canon, which may also be a phallic symbol if you want it to be uh i'm gonna put it in there that um that uh i think that's a great idea that one of the reasons this movie is obsessed with male anatomy is because this is a movie about the military industrial complex and scientists building the latest big gun so good bit of interpretation listener lauren Hmm. and that's it for movies with mike follow-up we won't be watching sneakers because you're watching that with someone else I can pretend I've never seen it if you want. No, that's good. That's good. That's one of Dan Moran's favorite movies, actually. Huh. So go. and I and and Casey's apparently. So that's great. That's great. I hope you have a good time. I, I might ask for a really brief uh, recap here of uh, of movies with Mike over there. Okay, we'll see. We can do that. If you would like to find the show notes for this week's episode, you should point your web browser or podcast app, well, they're already there, at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 23. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors again for this week's episode. That is the fine folks over at lynda.com, MailRoute, and Stamps.com. If you'd like to find Jason's amazing work on the internet, you should go to theincomparable.com, sixcolors.com, or twitter.com slash jasonl, J-S-N-E. E double L. There we go. I made it. And I am at <laughs> iMike. I M Y K E. If you have never listened before, uh, or you have, or you know, maybe you're a lapsed listener, I would really, really appreciate you checking out Inquisitive this week, episode number yes. twenty-seven, uh, which will be out on Wednesday the eighteenth. Uh, it's something that I have poured my heart and soul into, uh, and I really hope that you enjoy it. Please tell me you enjoy it, even if you don't. Uh, <laughs> And we'll be back next week. Thank you all for listening. We love you dearly. Till then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody.